The following Dharma talk was given by Ron Hogan Green. Hogan Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at cmm.org. Thanks for listening. Good afternoon, and uh, good afternoon to everybody, and those of us who are joining us from home as well. Sometimes, if you move carefully through the forest, breathing like the old ones in the stories, who could cross the simmering bed of leaves without a sound, You come to a place whose only task is to trouble you with tiny but frightening requests. Conceived out of nowhere, but in this place, beginning to to lead everywhere. Requests to stop what you are doing right now and to stop what you are becoming while you do it. Questions that can make or unmake a life. Questions that have patiently waited for you. Questions that have no right to go away. This is a poem by David White, a contemporary poet. Um, I don't believe he's a Zen Buddhist, but I know he sets a shens. And uh, Zen is shot through his work. I'm interested in uh, those tiny questions that have no right to go away. I'm interested in the places in our practice that we have to dig into ourselves and connect the formal practice to our heart. I'm interested in transformation and how do we transform in the relative sense from a lifetime, many lifetimes of habits and pain and reactivity and fear to one who walks the Bodhisattva path. I don't have any answers, by the way, but um, I'll pursue the questions. I do remember many years ago having a pretty direct discussion with Shugen Roshi Sensei at the time, he was heading down to Fire Lotus Temple. I think he was just starting to go there. And I said, I don't understand how lay people can practice just using the formal practice the way they do without something else, some help. And perhaps this talk will address some of that. I've also been thinking, this is directly connected, of karma. Surprise, surprise, it's the topic of Hongo. And Jukai, which happened last week. And especially my vows, your vows, and their effect on us, and the implications. How we live it what we fixate on, what we examine and don't examine, 
how we spend the time of our life and dedicate ourselves to, whether it helps us on our path or does not help us on our path. As you know, there was Jukai last week. And also, this talk was came to mind by the applications on my desk at home for students to take Jukai and reading those applications and thinking about these good folks who innocently, in a sense, request Jukai and how that request may, perhaps, open a door to the questions being asked by David White in this poem. Chikai is a transmission. It's a transmission of the precepts. A moral guide, if not an imperative, from teacher to student and back again. When we take the sila, we're being asked with what intent will you share all that you are? How will you love? How will you share your life with others? Not creating evil, practicing good for yourself and other beings. Knowing there are no others, at least intellectually knowing that. And yet here we are endless others. This is our question, and we receive it together as a Sangha and individually because we are alive with each other and created in our relationship with each other. How taking these vows and the vows that we perhaps take each day, knowing full well that we can only offer our imperfections as our practice. That's what we got, right? We all know that we're inherently whole and complete, at least we've heard that innumerable times. But from the practice side of things, what we have is what we reap from samsara, what we have trained ourselves in for countless lifetimes and continue in this lifetime. And so we have our imperfections as our practice, thank heavens. And yet, staking ourselves to rise to our fullest heights as a bodhisattva, not just as the clumsy human beings we are, but in our clumsiness to come forth and practice the embodiment of the compassionate heart of Avalokiteshvara. It sounds daunting, and yet here we are, doing it, doing our best to do it. Sometimes, if you move carefully through the forest, breathing, 
Funny, isn't it? That in this practice of just breathing, we forget so much. Every practice that we do is connected to our breath. Every aspect of Zazen is connected to our breath. It doesn't sound hard to be completely intimate with the breath. What's the problem? The breath is right there. Shouldn't be a great difficulty, should it? Just pour ourselves into the breath. Nothing else. And if there is something else, let it go. Be the breath. But it is a challenge. It is a challenge because the way we live, the way we practice in so much of our life is to be separate, not to be intimate. And it's not, in one sense, just us. I mean, we're submerged in non-intimacy and encouraged and probably work in the field of non-intimacy, whatever your title is. Although the commercials show it all the time or talk about it all the time, fake it all the time. Perhaps we discover we really don't need and may be willing to acknowledge that we really don't want so much we have created. So much of our modes of being lodged in our fear and anxiety and all the other stuff that we've grabbed that have turned out to be fool's gold. Perhaps we're coming to a place where deeply we can feel that, because I think we feel it before we see it. So breathing, through the forest breathing, just this breath. You know, practitioners in a zendo are called trees. This is a forest of trees. Do we realize our breath is our entire being? Holy is this breath with an H. Holy is this breath with a W. Complete. It's easy as we practice the breath to kind of skip over it. How can we be held by this breath rather than staying apart from it? How? That's what each of us have to discover. No matter what your practice is, we're breathing. And my own sense of different practices is that it always seems deeply, fundamentally connected to the breath. Sometimes, if you move carefully through the forest, breathing like the ones in the old stories who could cross a shimmering bed of leaves without a sound. Without a sound. Without a thought. Without an idea. Especially without creating. In creating this entire world 
and all things come into existence. Perhaps we can practice without a sound and see what appears. Can we do that? To do that, we have to give something up. You know what you have to give up. But knowing is not enough. It's a practice of giving up. It's a practice of relinquishment. You don't have to relinquish. There are 16 subsequent karmic steps that come out of that endlessly in a nice little cycle of many lifetimes of not relinquishing. Sometimes if you move carefully through the forest, breathing like the old ones in the old stories, who could cross a shimmering bed of leaves without a sound, you come to a place whose only task is to trouble you with tiny but frightening requests conceived out of nowhere. We lived this life for so many years with all of our karma. And yet, perhaps we have some sense that our life is much larger than this lifetime. And the karma that we have, I don't think can be accounted for in just this lifetime. I certainly more than strongly feel that way. I know this, but I can't say how I know it. And this karma entwines us with every being that lives and has ever lived and will live. All Buddhas throughout space and time, all bodhisattvas, mahasattvas, all practitioners, throughout space and time, past, present, future. Do you really believe that this place, this life that we have come to, and with it, the tension right here, right here, between your cage and the open door, between your demands and your heart's song, between your chains and the bone, between the tears and your joy. It is right here in this life. And do you think it came from nowhere? That this is, these are recent acquisitions? That it's spontaneous generation? To this place we come, and this is not a physical someplace, but your place, your true home, unadorned, whose only task is to trouble you with tiny but frightening requests. Welcome home. There's so many stories 
in the Zendo and for people at home, there are endless stories of coming home. The musician from New Zealand who comes to a, to a seminar or teaching or performance down the road and hears about a monastery and comes and devotes the next 20 or 30 years of his life to this practice and to helping others practice. The artist who hears a talk, the person who comes to Fire Lotus Temple and meets somebody and sees something in their eyes that they need, that they want, hear something in their voice that they can hear. And so many more stories. You have them. A place whose only task is to trouble you with tiny but frightening requests conceived out of nowhere. Do you know these requests? I'll bet you do. Somebody says something and you respond with an angry or frightened undertone or with a sharp knife in your words or enough offering of a subtle cup, a polite poison, or you run away, run away. That's Monty Python. <laughs> Up here. <laughs> An Will you become deaf and blind, and trapped in a, in a small box? Or you use your developed rationality, so rational your brain squeaks as your thoughts and words weave a responsive barrier. Smart are we? Are we? How's your suffering do doing today? Do you even know? And what is this request? Can you see it? Can you feel it? Can you taste it? Can you feel it in your guts? So tiny, so frightening. Will you be willing to feel it? You know something is off, but it's so easy to stop there. And he has this tiny request in front of us. So small, so often repeated, so frightening. Sometimes, if you move carefully through the forest, breathing like the ones in the old stories who could cross a shimmering bed of leaves without a sound, you come to a place whose only task is to trouble you with tiny but frightening requests conceived out of nowhere. But in this place, beginning to lead everywhere. Where does this place lead? When you begin to feel your heart 
Where does that lead? Do you know? I don't know. I don't know. That's a wonderful and the safest place you can be, believe it or not. Oh, we all know perhaps what we'll do when this week is over, or where we'll go. But that's not what is being asked. This place here that you have come to through many years and many lifetimes is exactly where you need to be. This place, your place. You have brought yourself here. Why is that? Why'd you do that? Hard to say, perhaps. You can force an articulation. That's just an articulation. In some ways, it's a mystery to us. It's not truly a mystery. But in terms of knowing it, it's a mystery. I don't know how it is for you. Where does this place lead? Where is everywhere? Where is it? Everywhere. Do you understand? Everywhere. Nothing left out. That's where it leads. Can you go there? Can you try? Really try? Without thought of gain? Without an accomplishment? Without fear of loss? What are you giving up? Is it really that hard to give up your suffering? Well, yes and no. We're afraid. You know, it's the two-stool problem. We're on one stool. You know this. It's the stool of samsara. And there's another stool. But we can't just jump with both feet, so we stretch with one foot to the other stool, which we don't know what that is. But it holds up. It holds out the addressing of samsara. Is it true? Is it not true? Can I, can I do that? We're kind of betwixt and between. (laughs) You know, I have a, I have a drop foot partial, just a little from, um, uh, a disc that bulged years ago. There's nothing you can do. It's there. And, Normally, it's not visible and nobody can notice it, but I, I'm always aware of it. And when I walk in here, if I don't absolutely concentrate, my foot drags. And the concentration is I'm recruiting other muscles so that the paralyzed one won't drag. I have to concentrate. I have to willingly reach for the other stool so I don't make a sound like a horse, clip, clop, clip, clop, clip, clop, which in my mind I don't want to do, even though it's perfectly fine. Interesting, isn't it, how in such little intimate ways 
our body reflects back to us how we suffer or don't suffer, or what we demand. Had a crossover to that other, stu- other stool. This is just an analogy, of course. But the fear, the challenge of letting go, the unknown, which actually only in the specifics is it unknown. But it's always been that way, your whole life. Where is everywhere? Can you try without thought of gain or fear of loss? Maybe, maybe not today, maybe tomorrow. That's the wonderful thing about practice. We're practicing. I once asked a a friend who's a musician, violin, violinist, could I listen to her practice? She said, no, (laughs) absolutely not. (laughs) But I was so interested. She couldn't. And I understand in one sense. Sometimes if you move carefully through the forest, breathing like the ones in the old stories, who would cross a simmering bed of leaves without a sound, you come to a place whose only task is to trouble you with tiny but frightening requests, conceived out of nowhere. But in this place, beginning to lead everywhere, requests to stop what you are doing right now and to stop while you, what you are becoming while you do it. How does transformation occur? From me being framed in so many semi-acceptable ways of blindness and lies. That's kind of a reactivity, a place that we so easily have cultured as our life. So many small exaggerations, deceptions of me, so many places to duck away and hide. Or just being ignorant, not even being aware of it. You know, it's hard when we begin to sit, especially doing longer sitting, to not be aware of these, to not have it become clearer and clearer how much we deceive ourselves and how many ways Small, but painful. And interesting enough, of course, sitting zazen makes it more painful, more sensitive. Because we see it more clearly. And so we have the question, how can I stop doing that? How can we be alive in all our humanness? How can the door of our cage be thrown open? and the demands of our reactivity be allowed to rest. You know, it starts just with some awareness of these little fibs, 
these little lies, these little reactions, these little knives that we throw at each other, or these little places we flee. It starts with an awareness of that. But it's easy to stop there. It's easy to curse you in, in the way that I do, in whatever way that we do, and then later say, oh, I'm sorry. That's a nice stopping point. There's a karma there. So we can do it again and again and again, establishing a new way. We've taken a step. Now, understand, there are no steps. There are no fixes. And yet, we have to practice. We have to move. We have to summon our life energy at the time we, we probably don't want to. We have to rest in our bow and trust it. We have to accept our pain and trust that because we've created it. And so we work it, which has its own time and place and patience challenge, we work it, and we try. And there's no failure in this, none. If the desire to use our humans to awaken is present, we are at this place that begins to lead everywhere. But we can't stop. And we can't depend on results, just on the energy of our life, doing our best. That's it. Doing our best, however that is, and what that shows us. And I can almost promise you that what it shows us will be a surprise, a good surprise. Because there's a karma that comes out of it. And so good here is relative, yet welcome. So we are being asked to stop what we are doing right now and stop what you are becoming while you do it. Instead of planting poison ivy seeds, we're planting bodhisattva seeds. How do we do this? How do we actually do this? We don't know how, of course, if we knew how, we would follow the cookbook. And, but each of us is unique and has our own particular challenges and our own context of life. So we don't know how. I know what I rely on. I rely on my teacher. I rely on you. I rely on the teachings, and I take that reliance and I make it my own. Mine, it's up to me. I have to water the seeds. I have to give it the right amount of sun. I have to have faith and trust in what I'm doing, that it offers me what I so desperately want which is fulfillment of my vows, 
which of course will never be fulfilled, but I'm in the process of fulfilling them. That's what I want. I saw recently a cartoon in the New Yorker. It's a boxing ring with an older white man, balding, scrunched up, a face that looked like it was modeled on Dick Cheney's. And the caption is, and in this corner, still undefeated, Frank's long-held beliefs. <laughs> That's what we're working with. I don't want to go undefeated. Our knowledge bank of knowing, of safety in moving the chess pieces, of being on the samsaric chessboard, cannot possibly help us. It just don't work. Do we get that? It just don't work. No matter how reliant we are on ourself, it just doesn't work. Can we rely on our vows? Can we rely on what, what our heart is and wants? Can we study that? Study that reliance. It's not enough to feel it, but to study it to come forth from it. So when the custom of suffering presents itself in the shape of something so attractive or needy, we can look at that. We can stare ourselves in the eye and have some chance of working with it in a way that nourishes us and others. It's not an all or nothing thing. It never is. It's poco y poco. But the arrows pointed one way. So even when we quote fail, doesn't matter. More opportunities will come. Sometimes, if you move carefully through the forest, breathing like the old ones, breathing like the ones in the old stories who could cross a shimmering bed of leaves without a sound. You come to a place whose only task is to trouble you with tiny but frightening requests, conceived out of nowhere, but in this place beginning to lead everywhere. Request to stop what you are doing right now, and to stop what you are becoming while you do it. Questions that can make or unmake a life. Questions that have patiently waited for you. Questions that have no right to go away. Questions that can make or unmake a life. Questions that have patiently waited for you. Waiting, waiting. Questions that have no right to go away. Why not? There's a demand with us, within us, that these questions do not go away. That seed we have to water. We have to cultivate. We have to renew. That's why we take our vows over and over and over and over and over. I mean, what's going on here? We do the same thing every goddamn day. 
Why do we do that? To face ourselves with these questions because we realize when life is all said and done, they matter most. A brief story that I've told before, but has had a huge impact on me. It's a story of Thomas Aquinas and his death. And you probably know Thomas Aquinas, brilliant, authored so many treatises, really directed the direction of the church to this present day and testified at the trials of so many heretics because he was the expert on what is and what is not true Catholic practice. So at the end of his life, this genius was doing mass, facing the altar, and he stopped. He stopped and he said, ashes, ashes, it's all ashes. And he walked off the altar and went into his room and never came out. Now, you're not going to read that in the official history of Thomas Aquinas' life. But you will read it. It is there. And he was sainted, acknowledging he must have had a nervous breakdown at the very end. I don't think so. Well, in another way, he did have a breakdown. He saw something about what it means to truly understand that it's not in the words, it's not in the ideas. Given his karma, it really destroyed him. Time and place didn't have another avenue. Time and place, you have another avenue. We may know in some fashion that transformation is relative and that fundamentally we are lacking nothing. But in this relative life, the karma we are creating affects everybody we know and many others that we don't know. No right to go away. These questions is not a burden. It may be scary, but if we trust our questions, take it a step past our comfort zone, it's an opening and an invitation to loving our life. And I think that is an enormous gift to love your life. Nothing else can touch it. So please start there. Start with these questions. Practice these questions. Take another step. There cannot, is not failure in this. We owe it to ourselves and we owe it to each other simply because we are a single body manifesting in your uniqueness.
Thanks so much for listening. To find out more about the monastery's programs, weekend retreats, and residency, please visit our website at cmm.org.